0: welcome to the westminster effects doxology podcast where we explore popular praxis songs and ideas in the modern church world in the light of solo scriptura and solo scriptura and scriptura. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore I'm, so Cody. <laughs> I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects You can check us out and buy stuff at westminstereffects.com Make sure you subscribe and uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook Maybe parlor by the time this comes out I don't Ooh. know, Like thing's kind of exploding And I might as well jump on while we're at it um, in Bandwagon person. Yeah, bandwagon In
1: person I'm joined by Alright, I'm going to try here Bradley Cox, pastor of Resurrection Church, currently drinking co- counterculture pour over coffee, recovering from a bike ride where I tried to keep up with Cody Fields. We I'm were here. trying
0: to keep up with my dad, is what happened. That's what And happened. he toasted both of us. Toasted both of us. Uh, and via the interwebs as normal.
2: Bye. Hey, everybody. John Ross here, Westminster effects artist, Augsburgian Christian, occasional sexy boat captain from Lincoln, Nebraska. And we also
0: have a special guest with us today. We have one, Mr. Gabe Wrench in Moscow, Idaho. Say hi, Gabe. Hey, good to be with you guys. Awesome to have you. Uh, we'll just let you kind of introduce yourself and don't worry about being too controversial for us because we've already thrown ourselves under the bus a couple weeks ago. So mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> just go for it. <laughs> okay. I'll have to hear more about that later. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Gabriel. I serve as a deacon at Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. Uh, I also host a TV show podcast called CrossPolitik, CrossPolitik.com. And uh, we started that about, man, four years ago. It's pretty amazing. Um, and as part of that, we kind of rolled out a little podcast network associated with it. Um, God gave us an audience and we wanted to kind of uh, um, expand on what God was giving us. And so we started uh, the Fight Laugh, Feast Network, and uh, so I, I grew up in Texas. Uh, you know, as you guys might might have heard before, it's the promised land. And uh, my dad was a uh, <laughs> my dad was a pipe fitter, kind of turned fab engineer uh, at uh, uh, Texas Instruments, Intel, and then he moved the family to the northwest in Oregon the year I graduated high school. And from there, my brother came to this town that where I live in now, called Moscow, Idaho, where uh, mm-hmm. he came here to go to a Christian College called New Saint Andrews. Yep. Uh, college. And I went down to California to play basketball at a college down in California. And then my brother talked to me into finishing my school here at University of Idaho. And so I moved here in 2002. And uh, literally the week I got here, my, my brother's like, you should uh, call up our college pastor and meet with him. And and so I did that and I started growing up, you know, growing up in Texas, you don't really at least the, everyone's a Christian in Texas. So it's, it's mm-hmm. um, you know, it's that cold. It's that Southern Christian culture uh, and which has its strengths, but also the, the, the problems are, uh, you know, kind of the lukewarmness of, of what a, a Christian culture, if you aren't watching out what it could produce. And so I think we're all kind of, kind of going lukewarm in, in my family. And I never really sought discipleship outside my family. And so when I got to Idaho, my brother's like, Hey, you should go. So I, I started, uh, meeting with, uh, who became my father-in-law, my college pastor, and um oh, uh, nice. met with him <laughs> yeah yeah met with him uh, for a couple of years before i met his daughter so i i told him all my deepest and darkest sins before i met his daughter and i was and then i was like um i want to date your daughter <laughs> <laughs> <That's great>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> i got nothing to hide <laughs> uh, and uh so uh anyways long story short we got married and i have uh, my wife Annie and three kids 10 6 Uh, ten eight and six two daughters and and my youngest is a son and we're raising our kids here in moscow
0: very cool and i gotta turn the uh the typical cross politic question around on you is are those kids baptized (laughs) (laughs) yes that yes they are
3: they got a good old-fashioned presbyterian baptized (laughs) (laughs) yeah good old old sprinkling you know good old sprinkling i can see
2: i'm in good company
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, we uh
0: we here at Res on the South Carolina end of the podcast are are Credo Baptists, and every time, almost every time, we have a Pado Baptist guest. For some reason, Bradley isn't on, and I get outnumbered by the Pado
3: Baptists. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if there's one thing a Presbyterian is going to do, he's going to argue about baptism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, so
0: cross politic, fight, laugh, feast. What's well? How about Explain the meaning behind "fight, laugh, feast" for us.
3: Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, when we started Cross Politic, uh, me and David, um, uh, Chuck Knox. We, you, you know, David. I didn't when I went and asked David to be a part of. So uh, the podcast was my idea. Uh, mm-hmm. The branding Cross Politic was my idea, uh, and and I went and asked David, "Hey, um, we'd love for you to join me and Pastor Toby on our podcast and be a host with us." And uh, and the first time I asked David, he's like, "No, nope, no, nope, not gonna do it." And it was just like a, a stone cold no. Yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't even thinking about it. And uh, and then eventually we, we talked him into it. We brought him into the pastor's office. You know, uh, Pastor Bradley knows this trick coming coming to my office and we'll talk. <laughs> and uh, so eventually we bought. But and if you know, you know, if you understand the black church, you you invite the black man in the in the pastor's office. I mean, it, it's it's serious, you know. And, uh, so so uh chocolate knox was convicted by the holy spirit in the pastor's office and decided to come and be a host on our show and so as we were kind of rolling out our branding and thinking about branding so david had produced the wretched for seven years right um todd Todd frill i didn't Mm -hmm. i didn't know that uh when i went and asked david you know i thought david was just a, a a filmmaker i didn't know um i mean how much experience he really had in this in this genre in this in this world and so, um, you know, we were um, thinking through, you know, intros, outros, all that stuff. We wanted kind of uh, uh, our tagline to kind of explain or or summarize the goal of what we're trying to do. And so, our our tagline became "Fight, Laugh, Feast." You know, one of the reasons why we started Cross Politic, you know, Jesus over politics, Cross Politic, uh, was because we saw that the church had not really been discipling. the the people well on how to apply the gospel to politics you know it's been Mm -hmm. I remember my grandfather always said this around the table before he would pray he'd always say you know you never mix politics and religion and then he would go the whole time talking about politics and religion at the dinner table (laughs) Um, (laughs) but that was and and I think that was that's very much in the church don't you know separation of church and state all this misconstrued ideas uh you know talk about your faith in here talk about politics out there don't don't bring your faith into your politics if you run for office your faith is going to be somehow distinct from your from your run in office and so that was uh, you know there there's there's tons of good podcasts and ministries around apologetics around pro-life around uh, you know all and, and, and so we didn't want to be another layer of that either so that's why we specifically wanted to hit politics because the church had really abandoned that, that sphere uh, big time. And so fight, laugh, feast, uh, related to this, uh, the, the church's, you know, uh, the 11th commandment that the church constantly gets pinned down on is thou shalt be nice. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's constantly uh, where Christians are called on the carpet. There's some sort of yeah. worldly version of what it means to be nice. It's yeah. not, you know, it's not biblical. You, you know, Jesus was not a nice guy. He was yeah. a Christian, you know, he's a, he a son of the holy God. Um, and at no point could you characterize him as a nice guy. <laughs> you know, that's not how I would. So, or this worldly version of, of what nice means. And so uh, the the church is being constantly um, bombarded with, you know, God, just love your neighbor, wear your mask. You know, be nice, <laughs> wear your mask. You know, that, that, that kind of um, uh, pinning kept kept coming up so that's why fight laugh feast became such a important theme for us is because that's what we think the church should be modeling the church should be modeling what it looks like to fight like a christian or with the tools that god has given us uh the church should be modeling what it means to laugh like a christian i mean the joy of the lord is our strength yeah you know the church should be modeling uh, what it means to feast you know we've we've lost this vision of what it means to feast and one of our favorite things one of the things that we've we've done up here in Moscow pastor Doug started it with just his own family I mean gosh 25 years ago I can't I don't even know the timeline on this but uh, they started celebrating Sabbath dinner on Saturday night um so they just make a big dinner big glasses of wine big food on the table big spread uh, you know overdoing it on Saturday night kind of thing And, and all, you know, and, and, and so we, me and my family, we practice this too. So on Saturday night, we get, and and it's such a great way to get your kids excited about Sunday the next day. So Saturday night, we, we throw this big dinner and uh, we give our kids just a little bit of wine. Um, You know, we'll have maybe a a little bit of chocolate or something special at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. So we, we just try to make it special and the kids love it. And, and, and the whole goal is like, Hey, it's Saturday night. Guess what? Tomorrow's church. We're excited. We're eating. We're feasting. And so um, learning that uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast, I think is really important, um, re, re, reclaiming a cultural kind of reclamation that the church needs to uh, go through. And uh, right. and so that's why we got the, we ended up with the tagline Fight, Laugh, Feast. Seems uh, like, uh,
2: seems like a little bit of a play on words uh, with uh, the live, laugh, love thing. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe you can sell those vinyl. <laughs> I made him choke. I, I killed our guest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe maybe you should get some of those vinyl wall clings and sell them. You know, just in script. You know, fight feast. That's that's hilarious with like, <laughs> kitten bas kittens and baskets stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah,
0: Bradley, you had a you had a couple of
1: mm hmm's
0: going on there. Like it, it sounded like some of that resonated with you as a pastor, even.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I the, the the thing that really resonated with me was this whole thing about the 11th commandment, Christians being nice. I mean, yeah. um, I think that I I, I tell the church all the time that, you know, the Bible is not a book about how to get along with the world. Um, You know, it's a, it's a book about how to live as God's people in the world. And I think Jesus was certainly not afraid to offend people. He was certainly uh, okay with, I mean, I think about his conversation with the rich young ruler um, and after that, he let the guy walk, and he seemed to be okay yeah. with that. He was he was okay with calling out, you know, the root issues, and then letting people uh, decide what to do with it. Right. Um, and so I, right. I do think I do think that you know when it comes even to things like social justice mm-hmm. and um, you know other stuff that the, this notion that the, the church is just called to be nice and stay in our little corner and make everybody happy is. Um, it's not good for the church. It's not healthy. And I love that fight, laugh, feast. That's just fantastic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, You've got, you know, I think of Jude with, you know, contend for the faith.
1: Yeah. It's Uh, it's a word for hand to hand. combat. Right.
0: And it's in it, but it doesn't, it doesn't just stay there. There's a joy in there. And then we celebrate the fact that Jesus has already won. Yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. Like all wrapped up in that, like that's, That's
3: And one of the reasons why the church is, um, I think, in the condition that it is today is because it has not presented a Christian culture. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so, because we haven't shown what a culture should look like, well, we're just being absorbed into an alternative culture. And that's that's what happened has happened over time. So, I mean, you're, you know, one of the goals of the local church is, should be creating a local community, a local culture. And of course, at the center of culture is, cult is worship. And and so yeah. everything we do, uh, you know, so Sunday is the most important day of the week and everything we do should flow out of what happens on Sunday. Singing praises to God, praying, hearing the word preached, confessing your sins, um, you know, uh, coming to gathering at the Lord's table together with your people. All that should flow out into the week. And, and of course, uh, um, uh, and the joy that you receive from worshiping together and, and communing with the saints. Um, and so we need to, the church needs to present a culture and and really think about what that culture should look like in your local community, um, in your church and in your local community. And that that is something, uh, you know, one-on-one evangelism is important. My father-in-law, he's our college pastor at our church. He's up at University of Idaho, Washington State University in New St. Andrews. That's all important. Um, but when the church presents a biblical culture, a godly culture, and it's attractive. Well, that kind of evangelism becomes like a tidal wave in a community, um, and it creates all sorts of collateral problems too. I mean, we, you know, we're we're constantly button heads with liberals in our town. We're in a liberal town. Right. We're in we're in a university town, and we're constantly but what it but when you church presents a strong godly, you know, joyful culture to the community, uh, well, everyone can't help but N- notice it. And it creates a, it, it's a different kind of evangelism. Uh, but the church doesn't tend to think in this, in this way, in this terms. But when you create a good culture in your church, in your community, man, that has all sorts of ripple effects. And mm-hmm. it, it really ha- has a uh, evangelistic effect that you, you would be surprised. Uh, it, you just don't, we just, church just doesn't think this way. And uh, I think it really has an impact on evangelism in ways you never would, would think of.
0: It's, it's at, at mm-hmm. the very basics being prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have when people notice, like if, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're going through some kind of rough spot and you still have, joy within that like people are going to be like and, and i've actually been asked this a few times this year with 2020 being what it is mm-hmm. uh, like how how are you still confident in anything <laughs> how do you have any amount of happiness and it's like well it's not rooted in in the circumstances or yeah, or the right. political situation in the white house or what have right. you it's in right. jesus that's right amen and,
1: gabe one of the things we battle here in the Bible Belt, and I don't know if it's true in Idaho or not, or if you run into this, is this God and country mentality when you start to uh, encourage Christians or try to disciple Christians in how to think well about politics, engage in debate. um, There's this, you know, I had a a phone call with a a young man in my church just a day or two ago. Um, He's a guy who holds the sovereignty of God very high, and he's in a family who is just reeling emotionally from what appears to be a trump loss Mm -hmm. Um, and he's he's trying to exhort them to think about the sovereignty of god and our kingdom citizenship and there's this god and country mentality that um, it it really is like a it's an obstacle it's a major Mm -hmm. obstacle in the bible belt to having healthy conversation about politics i'm just curious if you've dealt with that and how you've
3: how you've dealt with it yeah, so growing up in Texas, especially in the Southern Baptist churches, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Fourth of mm-hmm. July was an idolatrous day of worship, straight yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, they'd bring the American flag in. I mean, sing "America the Beautiful." I mean, all the, all the stuff. And it, it was it really is an idolatry, uh, idolatry. They're synch- synchronistic idolatry. And um, so, I, uh, <clears throat> idolatry is one of those sins that um is well i mean it's the the one of the most centrally blinding sins mm-hmm. and and so it really it's and, and it's and it's blinding because it's it's a deep-rooted sin that begins in the heart you know um uh, john calvin says our heart is a manufacturing uh, facility for idolatry mm-hmm. um yeah and uh so i yeah i, I you know uh it's been so long since i've you know been in texas and lived in texas I I, I I remember being there and and watching all that go down and being like this is weird you know um i don't think the church should have the american flag uh in 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 the church service just like i don't think uh you know uh the german flag should be in the german church services uh the church is for all yeah. ethnicities and <clears throat> and once you start emphasizing one uh countryman over another you're you're um, already running into silliness in in the church. So, um, yeah, I don't, I I, I don't know, pastor, (laughs) I don't have a good, I don't have a good answer. I think, I think a a, a lot of this has to, you know, um, when people, uh, I don't have a problem with someone saying that, oh man, my guy lost, there's nothing, you know, it's like, or or my team lost, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but When when you're going days in and days out, uh, you know, and just uh, uh, fraught over who's lost, well, I think then there's some deeper idolatrous issues starting to go on there. You know, we don't trust in kings, we don't trust in chariots, we don't trust in horses. We trust in the Lord our God. And no matter, and and as Christians, we need to recognize that whatever president is is elected, or corruptly elected whatever ends up being found out and, yeah. and this,
0: there, this it, and this will release in another week so who knows what information we yeah. it, exactly. have at yeah. that point.
3: What, whatever <laughs> happens god is giving us that president that's right now mm-hmm. now, now if, even if god gives us that president through corruption god is giving us that president that's right and, right. and that corruption just shows us how bad we are as a people yeah that we get the kings the bible's very clear we get what we deserve our elected right. officials represent us really, really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All that, all that, all that public corruption—if if, if it all turns out to be true—is all because that public corruption is in our hearts. Yeah. Right. It, blo- it blows me away that you know. So I don't know if you guys are post mill, pre mill, whatever. I think you guys should be post mill. <laughs> but, but i, I, uh...
1: I've gone, I was, I was going, wondering
0: when That was going to come up. I've gone, claimed, <laughs> I've gone ahead and claimed. I've gone ahead and claimed post mill.
3: I'm you're still 100. working on these two. <laughs> okay, But regardless, um, if you're post a or pre um l- look at how many Christians here are on the earth. How many Christians were on the earth when Jesus died? Mm-hmm. Five, 500-ish, right? Yep. Um, uh, and, and look at how many Christians are here in the United States. Look at how many churches are on, you know, in South Carolina, Texas, on Texas. Like, you go almost every corner and there's a church on the corner. It's like Starbucks. Mm. Yeah. And and if Paul were to come back today <clears throat> and to walk around and, on the streets and see all these churches, he, he'd be like, oh, my goodness, I'm post-mill too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
3: <laughs> well played. And, well played. Uh, and, uh, but, but, but the thing that really – I think this, this is where it breaks my heart. Is you know we have what something like you know surveys say that we have 45 to 75 million e- evangelical Christians or some sort of evangelical Christian. Now whether they um, you know how long, often they attend church, all that stuff, I don't know, but they're saying that they're at least some sort of confessing Jesus evangelical Christian. Right. Um, so let's let's take that on the low end, 45 million. So let's say there's 45 million Christians here in the U.S. Well, um, it takes well now it takes more. It takes about 70 million votes to get a president. Mm. And, and uh, who is pushing the culture? Who's controlling the culture? It's not the 45 million Christians. It's the 3%, less than 3%, LGBT community. There's, yeah. there's yeah. maybe 6 million LGBT community, and that's high. Right. They're the ones getting Obergefell. They're the ones getting Obamacare. They're the ones getting, you know, sister, sisters of the poor uh, going into the Supreme Court for not wanting to fund contraceptions or, or, or aborti- abortifacients in their, in their health care. Yep. Uh, they're the ones uh, getting cake, taking cake bakers to court, photographers to court, all this stuff. Um, the, the church is a limp, uh, 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 just a, a anemic uh, presence in our culture and it t- and it is and and we are just what what is that you know 15 times more than the lgbt uh, you know we at have least. 15 times more of the population whatever that whatever that math i'm horrible at, math, at least yeah rolls out to me uh, and, and so uh that's what breaks my heart about all this is like you know paul would come back see all these churches everywhere and then he'd be like what's wrong with the church right why doesn't I mean, the it, church influence
0: culture anymore it reminds me of uh i don't remember the exact uh, number that he gave, you know, we're gonna jump from Paul to Lenin, <laughs> and uh, but Lenin said, you know, yep. give give me a really dedicated five percent, and I will give you a revolution, uh, and you know, and, right. and obviously that happened yep. in, with the Bolsheviks, and uh, you know, I I can't help but think, you know, what if we had that super dedicated five to ten percent in the church? Like even even just within that forty five million, if five to ten percent said no, we're we're not taking you know the right. the the simplistic, the minimalistic, uh, you know, come to church and then don't act like it the rest of the week kind of Christianity. It's like we want we want it all. And yep. and if, if I can't help but think, if we had that many people in our churches saying no, we're we're going we're going in on
3: this, how that's much so, different exactly would, right. would everything look?
1: Yeah,
3: yeah, I think you know uh, one one of the reason, one of the ways you can tell that there's rot within the church is, is just looking at the math. Um, so it technically should just be a numbers game for the church. Okay. Christians have more babies than the world. The world also kills their babies. I mean, it just should just come down to math, you know? Mm. And, and I have, uh, my, my executive pastor ran the numbers one time and he said, "If, if you have four children, they grow up to be Christians and then they have four children they, they grow up to be Christians and get married and they have four children. They grow up, you know, so it's just like this exponential doom to do four, four, four. And he said in a hundred to 150 years, you would have about 500,000 grandchildren um, walking around in Idaho. Hmm. Now for us in Idaho, I just need, I think, I think you just need a what 300,000 votes to get a governor elected. Talk about Talk about my family can change culture in a in hundred years. My family right. could run Idaho in a hundred years for Jesus' name. And, right. and so this is how you know, uh, Just just kind of playing, running the math scenario. It's like uh, the church has been losing their kids to the world. The, the world doesn't have their kids. The world murders kids. The world <laughs> maybe has max two kids per family. and And the family is a manufacturing facility for soldiers for the world, not soldiers for the church. The church is manufacturing kids to go over to, to, to the worldly side. Uh, and, and, and we've lost, the church has lost this fight because we lost our
0: kids. Right. And, and what you're not talking about, we actually talked about this a little bit last week is it's not, it's not this top down, uh, you know, we're just going to take over and impose our will on everybody. It's, it's really a bottom up kind of grassroots. Uh, our hope isn't in controlling government by any stretch. The hope is in Jesus, but when, but when values pervade a culture, the natural result is
3: is influencing the political structures. Yeah, well, and and I think um, part of the reason why people maybe get a little antsy at this point in the conversation is because we've we've kind of lost the the biblical teaching of of governments, multiple governments. Um, yeah. Abraham Kuyper, if you guys know Abraham Kuyper, he he came up with the the terminology, the three uh, the sovereignty, uh, the spheres of sovereignty. God gave us three spheres, three sovereign spheres of government. He gave us the church government. He gave us the family government, and He gave us the civil government. So you find uh, examples of Him, God, giving authority to the civil government in Romans 13, the big famous chapter. Uh, you find uh, Ephesians 5, uh, uh, you know, family government, uh, church government. You know Matthew 18, um, you know, First mm-hmm. Timothy 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you find. Uh, that God defines what government is. God gives authority to the governments, to each of these governments. And then, of course, you also have the individual. The individual needs to be able to self-govern themselves. You know, like John Adams said, you can't uh, have—the U.S. does not exist without a moral people, so you have to govern yourself. Um, And so each of these governments, God gives and God defines. And so um, the role of the church government is to disciple the nations, to preach the gospel and minister the sacraments and enact church discipline. Very simple. Those church here's your marching orders. Uh, the role of the family government is the uh, health, uh, education, and welfare. Well, uh, what I just said there kind of sounds like the government, <laughs> right? But no, no, it's, it's my job as a father to make sure my family's healthy, to make sure they have food, and to make sure they have education and they're discipled properly. Um, health, education, welfare—that's that's my job. That's the family's job. The the government's job is to. Uh, and, uh, keep the peace and act and, and, bring judgment and to do, do good to those who are doing good and do, uh, and bring judgment to those who are doing evil. Uh, it's very simple, but what, what's happened is, and you can all identify, you know, a society where, uh, let's say the family government kind of ran society, you know, the old feudal societies. Um, you can identify societies where the church and the government, the civil government, um, you know, England, uh, Rome, all that stuff. You can identify societies where the government is overreaching. The civil government is overreaching in, mm-hmm. in there. So my pastor, his job is not to run for governor. His job is the pastor. Um, uh, the church's job is not to enact the sword. If someone uh murders someone in our church, the, the church council doesn't come together and say, ah, death penalty over here. You know, that's that's <laughs> the government's job. Um, you know, the family's job is not to, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, police police the neighborhood for drugs, although, you know, it, I mean, it, our, our job is not to bring convictions in the public square. That's the civil government's job. Um, and so because we don't have a biblical understanding of each of these governments, whenever I say, well, I, I pray that my grandchildren, 100, 150 years are running Idaho. <laughs> that makes people antsy. It's it's because we don't understand how these governments um work with one another. Each government reports directly to God. The civil government reports to Jesus. The civil the church government reports to Jesus. The family government reports to Jesus. We get our marching orders from Jesus and then we work out the details with one another here on on, mm-hmm. on earth. So um that I think those the understanding governments in terms of spheres helps us understand, okay, uh how what is We want the gospel to take over everything. I want want, uh, Jesus to be Lord over politics. Why would I not? You know, one of the funny things in all this uh, is, you know, for the longest time, the secular world has kind of made fun of Christians for being legalistic. Um, And they'll point to Leviticus, you know, you can't eat pork or you can't wear mixed cloth or blah, 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 and look at you now, Christians, you silly Christians. And I'm like, ma'am, if we're under living under Leviticus right now, I'd be happy. (laughs) Our our Levitical laws, the the secular Levitical laws are telling us to wear a mask. The secular Levitical (laughs) laws are literally telling us to stand six feet apart from one from each other. The secular Levitical laws are a joke. Yeah. Yeah. God's God's law is a blessing. You know, and, and to look at. To look at the secular world and, and how legalistic they've gotten has been hilarious and all this. I will never, uh, um, when a, next time the secularists make fun of Leviticus or, or, or you know, whatever they perceive as legalism within the church, they're just going to get a big horse laugh from me next time. So. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, let's uh, let's use that tra- to transition. Uh, you recently, <laughs> you recently experienced, um, you could say, government leaving its proper sphere uh, of authority, right? Um, uh, repeat, repeat that question one more time. Sorry, you, you, I got a, I got distracted. You, you could say that uh, you have personally experienced uh, your your local government leaving its proper okay, sphere. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm really, yeah, I'm, a got... pro- I'm a professional at transitions. So
3: <laughs> <laughs> the, the, well, the, the reason why I got distracted is because my court case is in about an hour.
2: Um, oh, nice. So I'm just
3: watching my text. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, so, but my, my lawyer's on it. He's taking care of it. So, well, there's my transition. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I live in Idaho and there's only in Idaho is a conservative state, and there's only two counties in Idaho that are liberal. Uh, um, in my county, the reason why it's liberal is because it's a university town, um, and really, it's my city, the city of Moscow. That's liberal. The surrounding county is actually very conservative, uh, mm-hmm. but Moscow has the highest population, so it kind of controls the county in the direction it goes. So um, our uh, mayor, back on March 20th, when the whole um, pandemic started coming, our mayor on March 20th, uh, shut down businesses and shut down the town and kind of, you know, did emergency health order, shelter in place kind of thing. And mind you, there were zero COVID cases in our town, zero. (laughs) And he shut down my friend's business in downtown. It was unbelievable. And he told, he told my friend to stop, stop making money stop providing for his family in the name of his health and all at the same time while the mayor continued to take his government taxpayer funded paycheck i mean jesus has all sorts of words for that kind of leadership creating one standard for your people while you won't subject yourself to that same standard Mm -hmm. absolutely wicked so on march 20th our mayor shut everything down and then, um, because I guess the governor was feeling a little out, left out of it, on March 25th, the governor, the governor of Idaho shut everything down. Um, and, and I think we had, like, a couple hundred cases in the state of Idaho or something. <laughs> and, and then, of course, the COVID statistics just kept growing and growing in, in April. And so, either the shutdown... Uh, you know i like to play the the correlation game the funny correlation game that everyone likes to play and say mass work look cases are down and i'm saying look hey when our governor shut shut the state of idaho down that's when cases spiked (laughs) (laughs) so did did the lockdown cause the COVID or what i don't know Uh, and so that happened on march on march 20th uh that happened through um uh, I think that they kind of lifted the shutdown here in our town um, on May 1st. And then the governor's orders just kind of came into effect from there. And then they had this like four phase thing of rolling things out. Well, on July 2nd, I believe the correct date was July 2nd. Uh, our mayor, because the cases weren't going away and the cases, you know, were, were more than they were before, you know, the previous week, whatever silly math that they wanted to pull out. Um, our mayor on July 1st or July 2nd, um, the city council mandated a mask order, uh, and a social distancing order. So where you couldn't social distance, you need six feet, random six feet, uh, you had to wear a mask in in the public and in grocery stores and all that stuff. Um, so that resolution took in place, uh, July 2nd. Well, whenever our city does something silly like this, um, we like to go sing psalms in the in, in downtown or sing psalms in the public square or sing psalms in city, in front of city hall, whatever. So our church, you know, Wednesday at five o'clock, we'll gather after everyone kind of gets off work, we'll gather, sing four psalms and go home, you know, real quick, just kind of a real mm-hmm. quick, okay, hey, you know, don't, this is bad. You shouldn't be doing this city. <laughs> and so we like to exercise our First Amendment rights. We sing psalms, we petition, we gather uh, all, all, and we exercise free speech all in the same moment um, uh, with psalms. And so that's how we kind of uh, protest. So we had done that. We had protested a couple times with uh, singing psalms uh, in July and August, and then um, and again, no one's died from the coronavirus. Uh, our cases are um, a- insignificant. The hospital's not overwhelmed. There is no you cannot define emergency in our town. Can't. Yeah. And then on <laughs> September twenty first, our council the, that Monday night, our council met to extend the face mask social distancing order through, uh, January 5th, <laughs> just unbelievable. Like still, still no deaths. Um, still, I think, I think we've had a total of something like three hospitalizations through all this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, I mean, it's just, there's no pandemic. There's no emergency, at least in our town. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest part of the pandemic was the liberal governors sending, uh, COVID patients uh, back into the elderly homes where over mm-hmm. 15,000 elderly people died in New York because of governor Cuomo's r- literal order to send uh, elderly COVID patients back to the elderly homes, So the hospitals wouldn't be overwhelmed. Right. He did that. It was like the pandemic has been from the awful decisions are that's the pandemic is our, our government. Um, anyways. So on September 21st, uh, they extended the revolution and, and the community was against it. They got, uh, they got probably 800, a thousand emails against it and probably 300 emails for it kind of thing. They, that the two hours of testimony, there's only two people who stood up and said we're for extending this order and, uh, and number of the community for two hours saying, do not extend this order. So overwhelmingly they were not listening to the community. And then uh, so our pastors on Tuesday, that, so that was Monday. On Tuesday, our pastor said, well, let's let's go sing psalms again. And so we went to the city hall parking lot to sing psalms on Wednesday. And so on Wednesday, we get to the city hall parking lot to sing psalms. And there was uh, the chief of police and four or five officers waiting for us. When we arrived, they told pastor, hey, if they aren't social distancing or wearing a mask, you could get cited and you know, possibly arrested. And so there's about, I don't know, 200 of us, 250 of us in the parking lot. And the city had also spray-painted circles down in the parking lot that were six feet apart. I mean, it's just, they used <laughs> oh, city money to spray-paint circles on the city parking lot uh, that were six feet apart so they could have an objective, you know, scenario of of arresting these people. Well, at but, least they yeah, were, were objective gonna... on one portion of this, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's like they're we're walking into this. They're trying to frame. It's just unbelievable how they're just trying to frame the whole scenario. So, you now we start singing. Uh, we start singing Psalm twenty, and uh, I mean the officers. As soon as we started singing, the officers um, uh, walked up to my mom. On the uh, w- me and my mom were just the closest. I was not cherry picked out of the uh, out of the um, audience. It was just we were just the closest for the os- officers. The first contact. So they walked up to my mom, and. Uh, and asked my mom, are you with this gentleman? And my mom said, this is my son. And then and then the officers looked at me and my buddy next to me, Tyler. I put my arm around Tyler and I said, but this is my friend. <laughs> and obviously signaling that I'm not social distancing, that I'm not um, wearing a mask, you know. And so the officer asked for my ID and I said and I, my response, and I, we had done this protest a number of times uh, nowhere since, since July 2nd, since the resolution began, um, no one had even been cited for breaking the resolution. I think there were a couple warnings given out and that was it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I mean, I, we went there to sing Psalms and a protest and exercise our first amendment rights. I didn't even think they were going to do anything. So they came up to me and, and I, I responded to the officer. I said, officer, you don't need to do this. And, and he asked for my ID again. And I said, officer, I have first amendment rights to be here doing what I'm doing. You don't need to do this. And they asked for my ID again. And I said, officer, um, you, uh, you know, better than this, you deep down, you know, this is wrong. And then he said, I'm I'm, going to ask you one more time, uh, for your ID. And so he asked for my ID one more time. And I said, officer, you don't need to do this. And, um, it was unbelievable you guys probably seen some of the video, but they're taking away my, my salter, my Cantus. Uh, my hymn book. They're taking away my cantus mm-hmm. away from me as they're handcuffing me. And Psalm 20 is going on in the background. So, you know, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the <laughs> Lord our God. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you okay. know, that, that just goes to show something that the Lutherans of the world have known for a long time. You just don't sit in the front row, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you just can't sit in the front row. Get in the back and it would have saved you so much trouble. That's hilarious.
3: Yep. Yeah. So, um, I got arrested, uh, because I, I um, uh, uh, for breaking the resolution and not giving him my ID. And, you know, so they're walking me to the cop car, to the deputy's car and, uh, you know, handcuffed and, you know, cameras, you know, there's probably three or four cell phone cameras going around. I think it's getting live streamed at this point. Um, uh, my brother, uh, who is always late to everything, walks up as I'm w- getting walking as I'm walking to the cop car. Um, my brother just starts getting <laughs> into the officers. Man, he just starts going on them, and then my other my other buddy Darren started getting on them, and and then my pastor comes walking up. Toby, Pastor Toby's a host with me on my show, starts walking up, and just it was a glorious moment having my pastor there, knowing uh, like he had my back, and just you know kind of rebuking the officers. I mean, this is a this was a, this is an embarrassing moment for our city you know mm-hmm. i got arrested for practicing our first amendment rights what's more what's more supreme in our nation a, a stupid city council resolution or our constitution and 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 they were and and not only that they were trying to dictate and tell me how i was supposed to exercise my first amendment rights they were defining that remember it mm-hmm. says congress shall make no law regarding you know the establishment of religion free speech right, right to assemble right and they were making laws trying to tell me how far apart I could stand. It's like, oh, you can practice your First Amendment rights. You just need to wear a mask. You just need to stand six feet apart. And, and so they're they're making laws. Um, and so, I, I mean, um, the city council and our mayor put our officers in a stupid position. Absolutely ridiculous. Because the officers didn't obey the mayor. Well, who gets fired? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? The chief of police gets fired. So there's all sorts of pressure right. on our police to... Uh, enact this uh, dumb resolution, uh, and then not only to enact it, but to cite, enforce, and, and then arrest for it. Right. And so, uh, I, you know, it by the grace of God, if it weren't for videos, there nothing would have happened. I just would have gone to court, and I would have had to fight this in the court like I am now. But because of the video uh, evidence that went viral, um, uh, it was it, it exposed a lot about our city council about their pride and their arrogance and their um, uh, inability to actually reason with the people, you know, they, they enforce, they have the guns, the citizens don't have the guns. Uh, We, we, you know, and so they, they create these dumb resolutions and they just, they, you know, they can't, they keep asking, why can't we just all get along? Well, it's because you have the guns. And so I think as Christians, you know, a lot of some of, the, some of the people have asked me, you know, why are you picking a fight on this mask resolution? Why the mask resolution? Why the mask resolution? Um, why not? Someone asked me, why not seat belts? Um, you know, the the government tells you to wear seat belts. Why can't they tell you to wear a mask? And and I'm like, I, I agree with you. I don't think they should tell you to wear seat belts either. <laughs> <laughs> and, and but but now is it my choice to be stupid in the car? And, and am I dumb in the car if I'm not wearing a seatbelt? Yeah. I mean, you know, seatbelts have been proven to save See, um, You know, there, there's um, but the government to tell you to tell you how they should be taking care of your health care, whatever scenario is, again, goes back to that's the family's job. That's not the government's job. That the family's job is the, the government of health, education and welfare. That's my job. And if I don't wear a seatbelt in the car, that's that's my call, not the government's call. And so and if I could protest. Publicly wearing seat, not wearing a seatbelt, and and protest, and and make some, make some gain on that, or 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 um, it's a strategic protest, not wearing seatbelts. I would think about how the best way to do that, um, but mm-hmm. it's not strategic. It's not protesting seatbelts. Not strategic right now. The mass thing, uh, that is strategic. Um, there's all sorts of, uh, and and one of the things that the church uh, needs to think through, is is how can you engage. Where are the strategic points that you think the church can make some grounds in our culture and, and, and to hit those strategic points? And so, you know, I, this inadvertently, I think, became a very strategic uh, pro, uh, psalm for us and everything. And so that's, uh, that's why uh, I think we've gained a lot of ground. Now, the city council doesn't even enforce or cite anybody anymore. Uh, they totally backed off the uh, police force, went back to educating people about the resolution mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So I went to jail and, and, uh, yeah, how was that? Me. I was in cell block four for about two hours <laughs> and my buddy got, who got arrested with me. Uh, you know, he's, we're singing Psalms in prison and jail, and, and every officer that came up to me, I just took that time to preach at him. I was like, man, I'm going to get my money's worth out of this bond. I'm going to have to pay here. In a minute. <laughs> and, and so every officer that came up to me, um, they, uh, I was just getting on them. I was like, you guys took away my first amendment rights. You arrested me for the, you know, this is, you should be embarrassed. What just happened? Uh, you should be fighting. You should be fighting on my team right now. You should be fighting for my constitutional rights. And the, the arresting officer came up to me and he said, um, Hey, just so you know, I'm, uh, here's your citation. I'm not going to cite you for obstruction. I'm just going to cite you for breaking the resolution. And I responded to him and I said, Oh, so, so merciful Massa. So Merciful, <laughs> and he did not like that. Not uh, not salty at all can't, about can't that. can
2: imagine. One.
3: Can't <laughs> imagine <laughs> why. <laughs> and, uh, and hopefully, hopefully it resonated. It's like you think that's mercy, Master? Yeah. Like like yeah. you're giving me a citation for not wearing a mask. What America do we live in, brother? Right. Unbelievable. Um, and so uh, as they're releasing me from uh, from the cell block four. Uh, I'm sitting down, they're asking all these questions, taking my picture, you know, all that silly stuff. And I'm looking across the hallway and in the office across the hallway, there's two deputies, not social distancing and not wearing a mask. Two of them. And I I walk over there as they're releasing me. I walk over there and I said, officer, arrest these two deputies. (laughs) They're not social distancing, they're not wearing a mask. And they asked me, they just said, please leave. I said, no, I just got arrested for this. I literally just got arrested for this. They're not social distancing, and they're not wearing a mask. Arrest them. So they basically just—they didn't force me out, but they forced—they—they they asked me to leave firmly, and and so I leave. And uh, and then after I leave, I call my lawyer up, and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, my friend from uh, Alliance for Defending Freedom—he's not my lawyer, um, but I call my friend um, uh, ADF. He's not with ADF anymore. Um, he's moved on. But I call up and say, "Hey, man." my producer my Chuck Knox my other host he he wants me to go to the studio right now and he wants me to go live with with our with the show right now Wednesday night after I got out of jail so I was in I was in jail for 2 hours afterwards um my buddy uh, Chuck Knox he says get in the studio now we're going to go live and so I'm I'm walking over to the studio and I'm I'm talking to my my buddy ADF and I said hey man should I go live with my story or not and he said you know if I'm your marketing director you say everything if I'm your lawyer, you say nothing. <laughs> and so we knew. Uh, so, we, you know, I made the calculations. And we knew in that moment that we, we think that the narrative was the most important play. Um, and so we, uh, you know, went live uh, with that show. That show blew up, went all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and We detailed the arrest. We had video evidence of what went down and just kind of walked through what was going on and everything. So um, I, I think Christians from all over were encouraged from what happened. You know i i feel like you know um i'm helping in some sense help helping john MacArthur and what he's doing in california in some some level i mean what john MacArthur is facing is a lot more difficult than what i'm dealing with i i'm Mm -hmm. right now i got a misdemeanor for not social distancing and not wearing a mask i can get a thousand dollar fine up to six months in jail um you know so i you know so we're fighting this in the courts and you know uh there's a you know by the grace of god it all be dismissed and everything here and hopefully the next week or two but um they could that there's a lot of pride in our council and in our mayor regarding this resolution. So they could tell the city prosecutor to take this all the way to trial. Uh, and I wouldn't <clears> be surprised <throat> if that happened. So. Yeah. Yeah, I will say one <laughs> it was kind of
0: funny. My my wife like I've I've listened to cross politic and most of the fight laugh feast stuff for a while and uh, like in in the bullpen has become my favorite sports podcast period. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Mark so Dewey good. just does such a, a good job with that and I recommend it to people all the time. But I've been I've been listening to you for for a minute and um and my wife will hear me listen and but she was and Bradley Bradley knows Kristen pretty well. Like she's normally, you know, pretty even, mm-hmm. really sweet. She was pissed. <laughs> she was absolutely livid, and she has been binging Cross Politics ever since. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, Bradley, uh, like we we've been we typically go through like preach straight through books of the Bible here at at Resurrection, and uh, it kind of like some of this kind of reminds me of you know, what, what we addressed in first Peter three of, you know, when, when they arrested you, you didn't start throwing haymakers. <laughs> you didn't start chucking Molotovs at, at their, at their police cars. It's like, do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, obviously it's not at the point of, of saying you can't preach the gospel, period, but there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's still that submissiveness within the you're overstepping your bounds. Am, am I right
1: there, Bradley? Yeah. Because, you know, there's a difference between what happened to the apostles in Acts when you know they were flogged yep. for preaching in Jesus' name, and it says that they, they went away <clears throat> rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Now, in that case, those were Jews, and the Jewish authorities had the right to order flogging. They couldn't crucify, but they could order flogging. Yep. Mm-hmm. But in Acts 22, when Paul was arrested uh, and he was ordered, it was ordered that he be flogged um, and he had told them, you know, I'm a Jew. I, I, I studied at the feet of Gamaliel mm-hmm. and, and, you know, he goes through this whole thing and then he gives his testimony and then says, and, and Jesus called me to go to the Gentiles. They said, away with this man. He should not be allowed to live. They take him, they stretch him out to flog him. Yep. And he says, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who's uncondemned? <laughs> So he yeah. he appealed to a legal advantage. I think there's a good biblical example yeah. of what you did That's right. in that moment yeah. is that you're you're saying, look, I, I have a constitutional right here as an American citizen. And right. while you still didn't respond violently I think you responded in a way that some people might say it's not nice. You're not being nice. Mm-hmm. But yet I think you, you took pretty much the same posture that the Apostle Paul did. He's like, you know, I'm not going to let them beat me when I'm a Roman. I have a Roman citizenship and it's illegal for them to do that. So I, I, I think yeah. that, that that would be where I would anchor that kind of posture <laughs> that you took in that
3: moment. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the interesting things in all this is, um, you know, uh, I'm no apostle Paul. Uh, I mean, the persecution that the, you know, small persecution or whatever you want to call it that I experienced in this whole thing. Um, uh, you know, I'm no Rosa Parks. Uh, you know, what she did was far greater, took far more courage to do what she did than what it took me. But I think that, illustrate something about our culture. The same courage that it, it took me to stand there and sing psalms and practice my First Amendment rights and, and not give any legitimacy to the, um, to the fact that I was breaking something. I wasn't. I wasn't breaking any laws. Um, uh, the mayor had made up this resolution that needed to be fought, unconstitutional yep. resolution, and, and so the, the same courage that it took me to stand there is the same courage that took Rosa Parks to sit in the front of the bus. Mm-hmm. Now, um, wh- whose scenario took more courage, though? Whose scenario uh, is even wh- – what's the greater scenario? Well, it's the, it's the fighting the Jim Crow laws that have been entrenched in society. And yeah. all the Christians yeah. that, that kept their mouths shut and just told Rosa Parks, why don't you just go to the back of the bus? Why don't you just get along? with what the mayor said, why don't you mm. just, you know, love your neighbor, sit in the back of the bus. Yeah. That I, I, since, since I got arrested, I've had Christians email me and say, why don't you just love your neighbor and wear a mask? Right. And, and so it's, and it's because, uh, uh, we've just, um, Christians have just lost. Um, uh, we don't, we don't have, uh, we're an illiterate church. We're yeah. biblically illiterate. Mm. We're historically illiterate. We're economically illiterate. We're just an illiterate bunch of people. right? And so we don't know, uh, we, we can't read the story and know how, what, what plays are actually going on here. Right. We don't know all the liberties that we're losing right now exactly. because of how our politicians are handling this moment. Awesome. You know, let's go ahead. Uh, Let's uh, sorry.
0: Let's move to an, a quick Inquisition, and I'm going to take a break because this coffee ran right through me. <laughs> so, John, go ahead and start that bumper music while I take care of this. <laughs> All right, and this is the Inquisition where you, the listener, uh, get to ask us questions and. My co-hosts haven't seen these beforehand unless Bradley cheated and looked at the page before, but this is via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. We're just going to pare this down to two because we went a little long in that first segment, Uh, so open to everybody, as is tradition. We start with Brian Morris who asks, what do you think are the most dangerous concepts being peddled by pop
3: Christianity today? Uh, well, I think the most dangerous thing is that the church is not preaching the whole counsel of God. And that there's Bible verses that the church is embarrassed of. Um, I yep. mean, you know Ezekiel twenty-three. You know, when's the last time you re- you heard that <laughs> <laughs> passage preached on? Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and and I so and I think related to that is that the church is embarrassed or uh, scared of preaching on certain subjects, um, you know, preach against the home sin of homosexuality and watch what happens to your, to your church. Um, and the reason why if something would happen to your church is because something happened to your people inside your pews, the people in your church would have a difficult time with that sermon. Um, so I think, uh, um, we say Jesus is Lord overall. But we don't believe it, and, and it's and it's because of we just don't believe the whole council of God. Yeah,
2: yeah, I can I can definitely resonate with that. Good mm-hmm. answer. What you got, Bradley?
1: Um, <clears throat> I, I think that. Um, God, there's so much I can say. About it. <laughs> um, I think that. Yeah, it's similar to what Gabe is saying. I mean, the, the soteriology in the church at large bothers me a lot. I mean, I think mm. uh, this stemming from the, the revivalist movement, um, you know, under Finney and then Billy Graham is this, you know, decision for Christ. And uh, the, yeah. way uh, the way we treat conversion, the way we treat, regeneration, the way it's talked about, the language that's used really dumbs it down in a lot of cases to a new year's resolution, um, a diet you're going on. Uh, I'm going to put my Jesus on and it doesn't, doesn't even get to, uh, even a smidgen of the depth of what the, the new Testament has to say about salvation, what it is and, and how it happens. And so I, I, I could probably say some other things, but I'll leave it at that.
0: (laughs) And and I think I would I would bounce off off both of you um, where uh, and and I especially heard this uh, in one of those man on the street segments that the White Horse in used to do Mm -hmm. is is, both of those kind of coupled with the fact that uh, so many so many particularly in the attractional you know just kind of do some self-help kind of thing they just assume that their people are idiots (laughs) um like i I tell the people in in our small group all the time like you are capable of grasping uh deeper richer theology uh than you think Mm -hmm. you know you're, you're capable of comprehending uh the doctrine of the trinity better than you think, yeah. e- even though the, the doctrine of the Trinity should blow our minds, right? But but this assumption that uh, basically wallowing in mediocrity uh, for 30 or 40 years of, of a Christian walk is normal.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, and I, I think it's that emphasis on lifestyle Christianity, and that's not specifically directed at Todd White, although he is, <laughs> he is, he is he is no exception. But that self-help lifestyle Christianity where uh, Scripture is presented in a way that makes the result of uh, of sanctification, the fruit, uh, more important uh, than the gospel that actually watered the plant, that produces the fruit. Uh, And... So certainly, right in in line, and that's you know very dangerous. And one another thing that that I would add on to that is a proper understanding of the third person of the Trinity of the Holy Spirit, and I think this could be either end of maybe it's not a spectrum, but we could certainly picture it that way, in which one side we have uh, people like. Uh, those in the lutheran church who are like too afraid to be like um uh, to talk too much about the spirit and are are very much um technically continuationalists by creed mm. but cessationalists by practice and understanding uh and are just just afraid of what that means because it's it's mysterious and no one's ever told them about it so it's like no oh. uh and then there's the other side where you know we have to invoke the spirit to come join our presence otherwise our worship isn't valid and you know fill uh, fill up our this space with your presence and gold dust and tears and fairies and whatever <laughs> i i think that <laughs> fairies that and i don't really think this is pop culture christianity but what i think it is is an out of touchness with a proper doctrinal understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Um, which is probably a result of uh, Gabe not preaching the whole counsel of Scripture, and the whole counsel of God, um, of Bradley going through uh, the uh, you know, the watered-down, lax soteriology uh, or not addressing it at all—you uh, know—all of those things work together when you have a proper scriptural, full understanding of this. Uh, when you start to relax some things and ignore others, and uh, put uh, donkeys in their respective omissions on the back burner, <laughs> you do run the risk of missing out on on. Certain pieces, because you lose sight of the whole council of God through by segmenting off portions of the revelation that He's given to us through his, through His Word. So, yeah, good stuff. And
0: one more question from Dustin Beeman, who wants to know: Gabe, are you going to run for office again?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it, this has been such a, a weird year um, for for me and my family. You know, I decided to run for County commissioner back in March before the whole COVID stuff got really crazy. It was actually about a week, a week before the last day to sign up to run for County commissioner was March 11th, I believe March 10th, whatever that Friday was. And that was a week before our mayor shut down all the businesses. So before things got crazy, I was, um, I, uh, the reason why I decided to run for county commissioner was because, uh, for one, it's, it's a local office. I don't have to go uh, down to Boise as a legislator. I can stay in town and not leave my family, that kind of thing. Uh, but secondly, uh, our county commissioners have raised, voted every year to raise taxes four years in a row, our county commissioners mm-hmm. They just, they just keep, they just keep at it, you know? Yeah. And And then lastly, I worked for four or five months to try to find someone to run and couldn't find anybody to run uh, that would step up. And so, uh, I mean, I just, I just felt like it was my duty to, to do it. So, um, I lost, uh, it's a tough, it's a tough area to win, um, mm-hmm. and, and because the city of Moscow is so liberal and there's so many votes in Moscow. Um, and, uh, but you know, the interesting thing in all this, uh, is my opponent, 75% of his votes came from mail-in ballots yeah i mean yeah. this whole melon this whole melon ballot thing has <laughs> just got to go i don't think there's any fraud in our uh local um uh election uh it it it, it doesn't look too 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 weird uh but uh i mean th- the whole melon va- ballot process is just fraught and ripe for for fraud and in addition to this it really does uh, dilute your civic duty um, to go to the polls to show your identification to to, you know, uh, really to vote correctly. So, um, you know, uh, my wife wouldn't want me, doesn't want me to, to uh, probably wouldn't <laughs> want me to run again. happy wife, <laughs> uh, happy life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know right now. I love the focus that God has for me with cross politics, the fight Left East conference that we do annually in, in uh, October in Nashville and uh and then there's just a lot of good stuff that's going around all my desires have always my ministry desires have always been wanting to uh, engage culture and politics with god's word and and so um uh, god has me in a lane that just um, r- really feels feels right for what i'm doing fantastic awesome awesome well gabe thanks for uh for yeah.
0: coming on the westminster effects doxology podcast where can we find uh all of your outlets
3: yeah, crosspolitik.com should be able to get you anywhere or fight, laugh, Uh And then, of course, the whatever's left of the social media world. <laughs> that hasn't gotten censored yet, right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> no doubt. That's right. Well,
2: yeah, I'll echo that. Thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, yeah. I mean, if you do want to make a Fight, Laugh, Feast wall cling uh, or, uh, <laughs> um, or sell the, uh, the decals that we uh, mentioned and shall not mention again, I'll certainly buy one. <laughs> you got it. <laughs>
0: awesome. Well, you can support the show at anchor.fm, and when you do, hit me up with your email address, and I'll hook you up with stuff. We're not as structured as the uh, as the Fight, Laugh, Feast Club game. Sorry. Um,
2: <laughs> what is this, amateur hour?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's totally amateur hour. It's okay. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe. Share it on iTunes. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.